This past week, I had a tremendous bowl of soup at Olive Garden. I had the Zuppa Toscana. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it is a potato and uh, sausage soup that's quite spicy. It's my favorite. I really, really enjoy it. I always order it when I'm at the Olive Garden. So what made this particular bowl so special? Because I eat it a lot. Well, the answer is that when I usually get it, it's mostly broth. It's supposed to have potatoes and sausage in it, but you have to look hard. And, uh, you know, uh, you may get a little bit of potato and a little bit of sauce, but it's mostly broth. But this week, it came and it was chock full of potatoes and sausage and very little broth. And uh, I, I really enjoyed eating it, and they asked if I wanted seconds, and I thought hard because I thought, I probably won't get a bowl like this again. But I thought, yeah, yeah, that was really good. I'll take a second. And it came back just the same. So it was, it was wonderful. I liked it. It was chock full of that which I enjoy. Well, this morning, uh, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that I used for our Monday, Thursday service. Those of you who are here and are astute may have noticed that the portion of Scripture that we're in is the very same portion of Scripture that we were in for Monday, Thursday. But my approach is going to be a little bit different, for I'm going to focus primarily on two verses. Luke 22, verses 15 and 16. He said unto them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And my hope and desire is that uh, this would be chock full, if you will, of a very basic truth. And that is God's love for us. And I, I know that we hear that all the time. That, uh, you know, that, that gets to be something that just kind of rolls off your back. You, you know, you just hear that, and you know, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But do you really know that God loves you? To really take that in, in its fullest dimension, that God really loves us. And Christ came to be with us so that we could go to be with him. Salvation is all about being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the great takeaway in this passage is how it reveals the deep love that Jesus has for us. I want us to see how incredible that concept is. So let me unpack these two verses for you. We begin by asking the question, what went through the mind of Jesus as he celebrated the last Passover meal with his disciples? One can only imagine the thoughts that raced through the mind of Jesus as his death was approaching. We might ask the question, what was his emotional state and attitude as Jesus entered into that Passover meal. What was he thinking and what was he feeling? What was he experiencing? What emotions were overcoming him? Fortunately, we don't have to speculate concerning Jesus' thoughts of mind and of his emotional state. 
For the Bible reveals Jesus' thoughts and emotions to us. But even more remarkable is that Jesus himself revealed his thoughts and his emotions to the disciples that night. For we have seen often, and we work through 1 Kings, that we are given insight into events and circumstances that the people that were going through those events and circumstances did not gain. We have an uh, editorial, of you, if you will, that points out to us issues behind the curtain, as it were, of understanding God's activity and work in particular events and passages. Well, in this particular passage, Jesus himself reveals to his disciples at that time his thoughts and his emotional state. And that's what we want to focus on as we enter into this passage to prepare us for communion. The passage opens with setting the scene for the celebration of the Passover. The time had come to celebrate Passover, verse 14. When the hour had come, this particular hour is the hour to celebrate Passover. Jesus is stretched out at the table, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table. Not unusual for that day. The table would have been low. There would have been pillows, etc., that were scattered around. They didn't sit in chairs or on benches, but... They reclined, they laid on pillows and reached over to the table. Not at all what is depicted in the famous painting of Da Vinci of the Last Supper, where they're sitting around the table, etc. Get that picture out of your mind. That's not what happened. They are laying on pillows around the table. Now, why is that important? Well, we find out that the apostles are with him, of course, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table with the apostles with him. We need to understand this is an intimate scene. A scene which is depicting Jesus' love for his disciples. We are provided a very important additional detail in John's gospel. For it tells us in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 13, verse 33, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John, was reclining at Jesus' side. Now, literally translated, John was resting on Jesus' chest, which is the way that it's translated in the NIV. There was, uh, excuse me, in the uh, NAS, which says uh, there was one leaning, uh, excuse me, on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. He was laying with his probably head and perhaps shoulder on Jesus' chest. John was actually reclining and, and leaning, leaning against him. I want you to think about that picture for a moment of Jesus reclining at the table and the Apostle John, not at Jesus' feet, but at his side and not just next to him, but actually playing his, his head and his shoulder on Jesus' chest. Can, can you picture that? Just lying there and here is the Apostle, Paul, Apostle John, excuse me, leaning on Jesus. Perhaps 
a picture that might make us feel a little uncomfortable in a sense. It's not normative. It's not how we interact. It's obviously not how we're going to be taking communion this morning. But here is John leaning against Jesus with his head on Jesus' chest. John is not rebuked for such a gesture. This was not untoward. This was not unacceptable. This was welcomed by Jesus. Jesus was pleased as John shows his affection for Lord Jesus Christ. It's not surprising that John's, John's gospel mentions this, for this must have been a momentous moment for John. Nothing wrong with this at all. In fact, everything right with it. And as they are gathered around this table, as they are reclining, Jesus speaks in verse 15, and he said to them, so what does he say? What does he say? What does he reveal? What does he want them to know? Well, secondly, Jesus speaks of his intense desire to eat this Passover meal with his disciples. Verse 15, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired, I have earnestly desired, that's what I'm focusing on at the moment, to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Literally, it's I have desired with desire. It, it speaks of an intense longing, something that Jesus had been looking forward to, Jesus had been anticipating, Jesus was excited about, Jesus was anxious for, Jesus wanted for this to happen. It's actually a word also to crave, to crave. He wanted this badly. That is to eat this Passover meal with his disciples. Now, let's unpack that for a moment. The first thing I want us to note is that Jesus was looking forward to eating this Passover with the disciples. Now the emphasis is that word, with the disciples. As he was looking forward to celebrating the special occasion, he was thinking of it in terms of eating this Passover meal with his disciples. For Jesus was all about his disciples. Jesus came to be with his disciples, and now I'm broadening that to us as well. He, Jesus came to be with his followers. And he came to be with his followers so that his followers would be with him. I want you to stop and reflect on how often the scripture tells us this. One of the famous portions of scripture is John chapter 14. John chapter 14 occurs prior to the death, of course, and resurrection of Lord Jesus. Jesus is in the upper room. And he says this to his disciples, as Jesus is anticipating his death, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you? Now he gives the reason for his death. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going away. And the reason I'm going away is 
I am preparing a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself. I'm coming back and I'm going to get you. He personally is taking us to himself with this end in mind that where I am, there you may be also. That's the purpose of salvation in a nutshell. He's going to prepare a place for us. He will come back and get us, and we will be with him forever. We will be with him. We will be with him. Then there is what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's found in John chapter 17. Again, in which before Jesus dies and in the presence of his disciples, he offers an intercessory prayer for his disciples. And he makes it clear that when he's praying for his disciples, he's not just praying for those that are immediately in his presence, but he's praying for us as well. For it says in John chapter 17, verses 19 and 20, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is looking down a quarter of time and he's praying for all those that would believe. And as Jesus is offering this high priestly prayer, as he's interceding, as he's getting ready to die and he goes to the Father to intercede for us, listen what he prays for. John 17, 24. Father, I desire... Here it is again. I desire that they also, which you have given me, may be with me where I am. That's the prayer. That all those you have given me may be with me where I am. It's all about being with Jesus, being in his presence. Now, Jesus had a joy and a delight in sharing the Passover meal with his disciples despite the suffering that Jesus is going to have to endure. Jesus was acutely aware of the intense suffering that he was to face. If you look at verse 15 of Luke 22, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, and now the words, before I suffer, before I suffer. It's noteworthy that Jesus refers to his suffering as opposed to referring to his death. For suffering is not a euphemism for death. The scriptures make it very clear that the suffering of Jesus goes beyond his death. It certainly includes his death. But it is more than his death. For the scripture tells us repeatedly that Jesus suffered many things. Many things. Mark 8.31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after this rise again the third day. Luke 9.22, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed on the third day raised. 
Luke 17, 26, he must suffer many things. The many things include the beating, the scorn, the rejection, the, all kinds of suffering. Jesus knew that he would be suffering in all the events surrounding his death. Furthermore, Jesus had communicated these events and sufferings to his disciples on earlier occasions. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And after many things, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Luke 18, 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged. They will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. But Jesus had spoken about these, these sufferings, these mockings, these scourgings, this being spit upon. It's not as though Jesus was indifferent to his sufferings. The very fact that it says that he suffered should prick us in our heart. Jesus really suffered in agony. It was hard to take. It stirred all kinds of emotions within him. For the Word of God tells us not only that he suffered, but the Word of God also tells us that he was troubled. He was troubled. Before the Passover meal was taking place, back in John chapter 12, Jesus is speaking about being troubled. John 12, 27, he says, Now is my heart, excuse me, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. <laughs> but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He was troubled about all that was going to take place. Jesus was also troubled about his betrayal. And also Peter's denial of him. That, that had an emotional toll upon Jesus. I think sometimes we, we have a concept that these things are alienated, that, that they really have no impact upon Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God, but he's, he's perfect man. In our passage, we are told in Luke chapter 22, verses 21 and following, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it would be that was going to, to do this. In the parallel account in the Gospel of John, we're told of the effect, John 13, 21, and after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. After talking about that, it took a toll. He was going to be betrayed. 
You're going to be denied. It's not as though Jesus had put his death out of his mind as he partook of the Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus was aware of all that was coming before him, and he was very much aware of the suffering. It's in that context that we read Luke 22, 19 to 20. Read, look at with me, Luke 22, 19 to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. That all that Jesus was going to suffer, all that he was going to experience was for them. The you there is plural. He wasn't speaking to any particular one of the disciples. He was speaking to the disciples, and ultimately he's speaking to us as well. That they needed to understand that the reason that all of this is taking place is for them. It's for them. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's going to the cross. He's going to prepare a place for them. He's doing it for them. And we need to understand this morning as we take of communion that when Jesus died, he died for us. His people. His disciples. All that Jesus was going to suffer, he suffered for us. As we continue to unpack this verse, we find out that it's not just the Passover that Jesus was looking forward to. It was this particular Passover, Luke twenty-two fifteen, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat. And now this little word that's so very important, this demonstrable pronoun, this Passover before I die, before I suffer. Notice it does not say, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you. It's this Passover. This one. It was unique. It was not like any other Passover that he'd eaten with his disciples. The reason being, told us in verse 18, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We often refer to communion as the Last Supper. The Last Supper because it's the last one that Jesus eats with his disciples. It's the last Passover he partakes of. He says, I'm not going to eat it again until I eat it in the kingdom. Again, in verse 18, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink out of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This Passover was truly unique. It was a Passover like no other. And what made it so unique was that, again, this Passover would not be celebrated until fulfilled. Verse 16, for I tell you I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
All that Passover intended to communicate, all that it was intended to celebrate, all that it was foreshadowing, all that it was portraying, would be fulfilled. And it would be fulfilled in God's kingdom. Luke 22, 16. And verse 18. This is speaking of the kingdom that will be established when Jesus returns to earth. Why it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, he will eat and drink with his people once again. Revelation 19, 6 and following says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to celebrate, to feast, to rejoice, for God is with us. And God will be with us for all eternity future. That's the essence. Now I want to focus on the takeaways as we prepare for communion. What is the great takeaway? Well, as we celebrate communion, and it's called communion for it speaks of fellowship. The word communion is fellowship. It is a celebration of our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. And what I want us to celebrate and think about this morning is Christ's desire to be with us and for us to be with him. As I said, Jesus came to be with us so that we could go to be with him. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus suffered so many things and died just to accomplish, just to make it possible, and not just possible, to actually affect it, to bring it to pass that we would be with him forever and ever. I want you to think about how remarkable that is. I'm the youngest. I have an older brother and I have an older sister. And both my brother and my sister are a number of years older than I am. So I came tagging along behind. And I was a nuisance. Or I always wanted to do what they were doing, and of course, I was a lot younger, and they didn't want to be taking me along. They didn't want me to be going with them when they went to the fairgrounds, and they went to the mall, and they went to different places. Or I was just a kid. And they were mid and upper teens. And many times, my mother would say, you've got to take them. All right. You know. Get in the car. And, you know, it, 
It, it kind of dampened the joy because you knew all along that they didn't really want me there. But he's our brother. We got to take him. You know, sometimes I feel like that when I think of heaven. And I wonder if, if God really wants me there. Or I'm a nuisance. Kind of like that unwanted relative that shows up and stays too long. And you kind of wonder when they're going to leave. You might think Christ doesn't really want us there. We aren't worthy. We aren't deserving. We don't belong there. Have you ever felt that way? I don't belong there. What does it mean that Jesus wants to be with us? Well, it means that Jesus is not ashamed. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, referring to Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, referring to us. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Well, that's remarkable. Peter is going to be ashamed of Jesus. Three times he's going to deny even knowing Jesus. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus because of the suffering that may come upon him as a result. Jesus really did experience the suffering of being associated with us. And yet, he wanted to be associated with us. The night that he partook of disciples of communion, what a motley crew he was taking communion with. And he said, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. When you think of heaven, does it thrill your soul? Perhaps the condition, no more pain, no more suffering. Perhaps the thought of being with loved ones who have died before. All of those things are legitimate and good desires and biblical and appropriate, but our greatest desire ought to be to be with Jesus. For Jesus left it all in order to be with us so that we could be with him. He who was rich became poor, the scripture says. Who being in the form of God, thought not robbery, something to be grasped, to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus gave it all up. Jesus suffered willingly so that we could be with him. What does it mean that Jesus wants to be with us? It means that Jesus wants to be with us now. Do we desire to be with him? Amazing thought. Jesus 
longs to be with us. The scripture says, as I prayed earlier, that where two or three are gathered together, there he is in our midst. We believe that Jesus is spiritually present with us today. Not because of the communion elements, but because of his promise that where two or three gathered there in my midst. Now, I, don't expl- I can't ex- understand that, and I can't explain it, but I take note of it because the Bible says it's true, and so I believe it. That he is actually gathered with us. We can't see him. We can't touch him. But he's here because he's promised to be with us. When we worship him. He's coming back. And we're going to see him. And we're going to experience him. And we're going to be with him forever and ever. (laughs) For that's what Jesus came to do. To take us to be with him forever and ever. The scripture teaches us that our love for God is actually a response of his love for us. We are taught in the scriptures, we love him because he first loved us. Ours is a response. He initiated it. We didn't ask him to come down from heaven. He came. We didn't plan salvation, he planned it. And we love him because he first loved us. And likewise, I would submit to you that the response of wanting to be with Jesus is also reflexive. It is because he wants to be with us that we want to be with him. For the disciples did not have the same response at the communion table that Jesus had. They didn't understand how privileged. They didn't understand how blessed. They didn't understand what a a sweet thing it was to have this last meal with Jesus and all that he was doing. And as he was handing out the bread, as he was handing out the cup, saying, this is for you. This is for you. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the events of tomorrow. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I say to you today, how lightly we can take the thought of being with Jesus. How we need to cultivate that desire to be with Jesus. And we'd see how blessed that privilege is. One of the ways that we can cultivate being with Jesus is through prayer, through the reading of Scripture, the, the fact that we can pray to Jesus. We can pray to the Father. We can have fellowship with him. And how often do we not? And when we think of prayer, we we think about asking for things rather than fellowshipping with Jesus, just to be able to talk with God and reading the scriptures so that we would know our God and what he is like.
The biggest takeaway today as we enter into communion is this. To be actually, absolutely assured of our welcome into the presence of God. God is going to be delighted to see us. Not second-class citizens. Not bringing up our sin. It is done. Jesus paid it all. (laughs) That sacrifice is over. We are going to be embraced. We are going to be welcomed. We are going to be celebrated. He longs to be with us. What a glorious uniting that is going to be and an oversensing well of God's love for us. God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, we are a motley crew. And so we stand amazed that He longs to be with us. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. We're precious to him. How precious. He gave his only begotten son. Let us rejoice that God loves us and welcomes us, delights in us, into his presence. As we partake of communion, we are celebrating that fellowship that we have with God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. At this time, we'll ask the men to come forward. We're going to be partaking of communion. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, we ask that you remain, but there's no reason in these very brief moments that you could even ask God for forgiveness and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him and him only as a means of your salvation and being right with God and taking of communion. Men, you can come forward. So um, we ask that you uh, participate if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior.